John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the latest live-action remake of sorts from Disney, Christopher Robin, the spy comedy starring Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon, the spy who dumped me, the latest young adult supernatural sort of post-apocalyptic whatever, The Darkest Minds, and Dinesh D'Souza's Death of a Nation. I'll get into that at the end, but let's get started with the good stuff. If anyone wants to clap, now is the time to do it. Oh, mother. I don't remember being cheery. (laughs) People say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. No, poo, that's not... Never mind. Overall, I have not been a fan of these live-action Disney remakes. Beauty and the Beast, uh, if you want to get more of my thoughts on it, I would say look at, um, well, go watch uh, Lindsay Ellis' latest video on it. She basically breaks down most of the issues I had with the movie. Um, yeah, it's not a very good, got very good reinterpretation of the story. and It's beholden to that original story in order for you to understand most of it. And... Maleficent just cannot stand. Did, hated that version of Sleeping Beauty. Never saw 101 Dalmatians. Um, didn't care much for Cinderella, but I never cared much for the original either. I just don't particularly care for that story. And then The Jungle Book is, I think, the best. Jungle Book is the best, followed right after by Pete's Dragon. Jungle Book improved a lot on uh, the original movie and made it much more cinematic and made it much more compelling and had some of the best effects work for uh, CGI animals that I've seen in ever, probably. (laughs) And then uh, Pete's Dragon was a vast improvement on the original. It wasn't the best thing ever, but it improved on the original, which is the point of a remake, I feel like. If you're going to do a remake, do something new with it. And that's what Pete's Dragon's remake did. So those two, I think, are currently the best. Could not stand Beauty and the Beast. Could not stand Maleficent. Didn't care for Cinderella. Never saw 101 Dalmatians. So yeah, this is a not... I mean, it's a profitable model. But they're not good movies. They're just... Most of them are not good movies. So where does Christopher Robin sit? I... I would say it's number three for me. I still think Pete's Dragon is a better is a better improvement on its on its source, and Jungle Book is still the best. But Christopher Robin got a lot right with its uh, with its original uh, source from the Disney Company being Winnie the Pooh. Uh, basically, what happens here is they've reimagined the world of Winnie the Pooh and showcased it more on the realistic end of things. With the Hundred Acre Wood being a fantasy land that Christopher Robin visits. Also, also, his name is literally Christopher Robin. Like, his last name is Robin. I don't know if that was ever established as canon, but they treat him as his last name is Christopher Robin. I assumed it was his name was Christopher Robin something, because technically the name of... But he's based on Christopher Robin Milne, a Milne's child. So, I, I, I always assumed that's the point. Christopher Robin was his first and middle name, not his, not his first name and his surname. But whatever. Uh, yeah, 
what happens is Christopher Robin is leaving for boarding school and he leaves the Hundred Acre Wood behind and he grows all the way up into being Ewan McGregor, even surviving fighting in World War II. And he becomes a stuffy old businessman. He's, a, he's, he's in the efficiency department and he works too hard. Even though literally he is burdened with the solvency of the company at stake. Like if he doesn't find a way to cut costs, the company will go under. But when it's revealed why it's about to go under, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's any wonder that it, that it managed to stay in business at all. So, yeah, but I'll get into... That's more for a spoilery... That's all spoilery stuff. But the conceit is, is Christopher Robin is working too hard and he needs the help of the Hundred Acre Wood Gang to kind of loosen him up. And so, I get the concept. I just don't... There's a way to handle this. There's a way to handle a neglecting father, a father who is uh, is absentee. Because that's the thing. If the father is away and busy because he is making money, that's one thing. If the father is away because he doesn't want to be around the family and is like hanging out with golf buddies and calling that business... Yeah, I, that part, that's something you can criticize. But if he's literally working in order to make the money, in order for you to have a roof over your head and food on your table, that's not a problem. Especially when he, even though he's not upfront about the reason why he has to work, you still understand that he's, this is his job, right? Like, seriously, why are you always busy with the thing that feeds us and keeps us dry? Adam, it's it's a it's a hack concept that I feel like we should let die out. It's a, it doesn't work, and, and especially since so many people are like, I need to work for you to live. That's the system we're in, and unless the point is to change that system, then you can't be mad at him for working so hard to make to make sure that you are able to live. That's what a provider does, no matter who the provider is. You can't be mad at the parents are always busy working when their working allows you to stay solvent and have a house and food. Uh, but anyway, yeah. But I also get the concept of you don't want to neglect your family your, and your sense of innocence and childlike wonderment. Sometimes it's good to have that sort of passion and Life, that joie de vivre, if you will, vivre, I think. Joie de vivre, I did not take French. French is not something I'm good at. I could, I, of all the language I learned as part of my dialect training for being a singer, French was the one I sucked at the most. So yeah, and, was, and, was, and I barely managed to pass through French. Spanish, Italian, German, nailed it. No problem. French, my tongue is in the way. Anyway, uh, yeah, but he, that, that passion for life and to keep on to that as an adult is a good, it's a good lesson. It's a good thing to focus on. This movie is not the great, at, not so great at that. However, where this movie excels is with the Hundred Acre Wood characters. When Christopher Robin returns to the Hundred Acre Wood, to, I won't say what what all that goes on, but basically he fight he, you know he's he goes to save the um the gang 
from heffalumps and oozles after a massive storm managed to managed to sweep through the air through the area. And that's the whole reason Pooh goes to find him is something happened and Pooh has lost track of all of his friends. And it seems like there was a storm that happened and it's and during that point Christopher Robin is still in adult mindset and it's through returning to the Hundred Acre Wood that he begins to loosen up and rediscover that childhood imagination and wonderment about him. And that part is good. That that's a good idea and that's a great concept. But it falls apart when they try to bring the Hundred Acre Wood characters to the real world. Thankfully, it's not New York again. This time it's London. And it, they're funny, they're wacky, it, that's fine. And once again, Jim Cummings is a, is, a, is a gift. Jim Cummings is a wonder and a gift to all uh, child entertainment, childhood entertainment. The, and, it's, oh, and it's no wonder that they kept him. Apparently, uh, Chris O'Dowd was meant to play Tigger, and they replaced him. With, I'm pretty sure they replaced they replaced him with Jim Cummings as both Tigger and Pooh because that's who because uh, because uh, he's played both he plays both for Disney so it, I would assume they would have kept him on for both but I know I remember Chris O'Dowd was brought up was supposed to be playing Tigger that's all the live action cast where's the voice cast. Yeah, Jim Cummings replaced Chris O'Dowd as Tigger, and it's a it's a good thing because I'm sure Chris O'Dowd would have been fine, but people hear Jim Cummings as Tigger. They keep they hear that voice as Pooh and Tigger, and even though, like the only one that really sounded like their their original character besides Jim Cummings, you know, since Jim Cummings is just basically reprising his role, is Brad Garrett as Eeyore. He makes a great Eeyore. Uh, Peter Capaldi is decent as Rabbit, but I, I never got that same sense of manic, of manic sort of ne- neurotic <laughs> neuroses that you get from the Rabbit of the animation of the animated Disney adaptations. Um, Toby Jones is solid as Owl, and then they've got uh, Nick Mohammed is all right, but he's. He's a bit subdued for Piglet. Once again, I'm so used to hearing these voices being over the top and like iconic that these new char- that these new people have a lot to live up to. Uh, Sophie Okonedo, I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, best known for Hotel Rwanda and Af- and uh, uh, Will Smith's wife in After Earth for that one scene. Uh, she plays Kanga. She's she's fine. She's great as Kanga. Um, it's hard to screw up Kanga. So and then Sarah Sheen plays the voice of Rue, and she's she she's great. Um, but yeah, one, but once again, the star is Jim Cummings as Pooh and Tigger. And without him, this movie would not have worked at all. It's a it's 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 a good thing that Disney kept him on to do do to do Pooh, and then. And then dropped Chris O'Dowd because no matter how good O'Dowd was, he was never going to beat Jim Cummings as Tigger because that's who we hear as Tigger. Brad Garrett, Brad Garrett's a great timber for Eeyore. He works great. And then Toby Jones is solid as Owl. Um, the, and then 
Sophia Okonedo is good as Kanga, and then everyone else is perfectly serviceable and, and solid as the rest of the voice gets. But once again, the stuff in the Hundred Acre Wood is what works. It's the stuff in London that's bad and doesn't work. And it follows so many of the kids' movie tropes. And the guys at Double Toaster pointed this out. Uh, the, the better version of this movie is Paddington 2. Paddington and Paddington 2 handled this sort of idea of the wet, of the farcical sort of slapstick clumsiness comedy in London better. It had a better explanation of stuff cuz the idea that the idea that um that 100 Acre Wood is a fantasy world that um that Christopher Robin created that would make for an interesting idea cuz um I also just listened to the now playing epi- episode about uh, 12 monkeys that they did with one of their Kickstarter backers and in that they mentioned the idea of me- once again mental breakdown losing losing your mind what's real and what isn't and if they played with that more that would have been interesting the idea that instead of re- him revisiting the 100 acre wood is just him having a mental breakdown him rediscovering his um, his stuffed animals. Do it like a Calvin and Hobbes situation, where to him, they're as real as real can be. But as far as anybody else can tell, it's just him talking to a stuffed, an- stuffed animal and interacting with that. And it, it, but, uh, but for some reason, they, they didn't go with that because they wanted the daughter and the wife to see them too. But by do, making them actually realistic, it, it raises more questions about what's going on and why these stuffed animals are alive. Like, I already had questions about how poo as a stuffed bear given sentience has a digestive tract and, a, and, a, and hungers. Like, where does the honey go when it's entered his system? Why, he's already been, you know, he's shown to be stuffed with fluff. So then where, what happens to the honey? Where does the honey go? He eats all of it. Does it just sit there and fester? What happens to the honey? Where does it go? I don't know. It, it, so many questions raised by, by Winnie the Pooh's conceit. What do you think about it too, for too long? Uh, the daughter playing... Uh, the, do- the kid who plays the daughter of uh, Ewan McGregor's Christopher Robin and Haley Atwell. She's fine. She's not the best, but she does okay. I'd like to see her in something that's not so farcical. I'd like to see her given something more solid and better written before I wanted to pass judgment on how she how she, you know, on her as an actress. Uh, Haley Atwell is fine, but she's, oh, once again, she's the I wish you wouldn't work so much. Your family's here waiting for you. We haven't seen you. I've never seen you smile because he's busy working! Like, seriously! How did... Why? Where is this coming from? Like, this is what is expected of him in order for you to live in the society. Like, maybe, maybe suggest finding a job that's more to his passion. But I don't. I don't know. It, it, the way they handled it is so badly done, and the the real world aspects of this movie are are bad. They're just they just rely on tired tropes. But the stuff with the hundred acre wood is well. Well designed, well executed, great, great. It's it's all great. It's just there's not enough of it. So I would say give it a shot. There's definitely a lot of good points to it. The best points have to do with the hundred acre wood, not so much with the with all the real world stuff. So 
It's also, I also noticed, interestingly, that um, that uh, Winnie the Pooh is basically, like, has the mentality of a child. Because there's a whole sequence where Pooh wants a balloon. And he thinks like a child thinks. And which makes sense because he... It, ideally, it should make sense because he was created by a child, Christopher Robin. So he has that child's mentality. But if they were sentient... Apart from Christopher Robin They weren't his own creations Why do they all have like Elementary School grade Intellects I have many This raises so many more questions Than they answered At any rate uh, Overall Christopher Robin was an interesting experiment With the characters But it relies too much on the tropes of kids' movie parents working too hard and the loss of childhood innocence and rediscovering that to be really great. It's not one of the best Winnie the Pooh movies, but it is top-tier live-action remake for Disney movies, so take that how you will. This is insane. Have you ever felt so alive? Just don't die, okay? Because I would die without you, and then we'd both be dead. Hold on! You better work, bitch. Oh my god. Oh god! Jesus! What happened? You two, Miles. What? You're the boss, and yet you have not sacrificed one ounce of femininity. That is the Beyonce of the government. I feel kind of bad for Kate McKinnon Only because she's kind of fallen into that same miasma, that same sort of trap that other SNL alums have fallen into where you have to be always wacky and zany and playing a character and I remember Sherry O'Terry and Molly Shannon trying to break into film after SNL and going like only so many SNL alums have gotten into really great film careers. Eddie Murphy and Will Ferrell and then like Dan, a- Dan a- and then like Chevy Chase. Maybe Dan Aykroyd, depending on which movies you count. But most other people end up in the same spot as where Kate McKinnon is, where maybe they'll do like one really good movie, but otherwise they just show up and are and are just Oh, too much, uh, and they're just or they just don't really add anything new to the film. I feel like SNL actors that only so many could be film stars. You have to have the right sort of I don't know what it is, just especially material. And I think Kate McKinnon just is not. Ha- I mean, they she's just not given the best material to work with. Ghostbusters is probably the best thing she's been in. Rough Night was rough. It was, rough. it was a rough night to sit through. And this is... She's not... She's not great in this. She's very hit, very hit and miss. Like, some jokes are are great. They're funny. Otherwise, it's just... Hey, hack-a-da-whack-a-da-schmack-a-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
plays the straight character a lot. Uh, Jason Bateman is is very famous for it. Uh, Jason Bateman in the rest of development is the quintessential straight man, so to speak. I say straight character because I want to include characters like Mila Kunis in this movie, where the madness is happening around her, and she is just the focal point trying to deal with the madness. And I think that and Bad Moms are where Mila Kunis shines. That's where she works. Uh, and then she was part of the reason I enjoyed this movie. I think Mila Kunis can be hilarious if she's given the right role. I think she's worked in Bad Moms, and she works good here. Still hate the title, though. I get that it's a play on The Spy Who Loved Me, but I just think it's a really dumb title. I don't know what you would have called this movie otherwise, but yeah, it's. It, it, I think the title kind of says it all. Uh, hey, check us out! We're a funny, wacky spy comedy! Yuck, 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 yuck. Um, but yeah, besides Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon... There's mostly on like Hassan Minaj plays a supporting character and he's good. Hassan Minaj is great only because he just has that natural charisma to him. He has he's able to take a nothing of a character and give him uh, a wit to him, a, a sort of like edge. And the, you don't see that with uh with the other supporting characters. Like you've got Justin Theroux as the titular spy who dumped Mila Kunis. He's bland as all hell. And then you've got Sam Hugan. Uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. I heard it hard. Hugan. Um, uh, Scottish actor, best known for uh, Jamie Fraser on Outlander. I guess Fraser. He's not, he's not that big. Like Besides Outlander, his biggest role has been in A Princess for Christmas. For the for I believe the Hallmark Channel, so yeah, Jamie Jamie Hugan, Sam Hugan. I don't know where Jamie came from. I have no idea where. Oh, uh, Jamie Fraser Fraser. Uh, but yeah, he is, so yeah he is the is he the lead? Yeah, he's the lead on Outlander, so that's where you'd recognize him. In this movie, he is he's just not good. He is. He's trying to be the charismatic love interest character, but he he doesn't have it. He's not. He, maybe he's better on Outlander. Maybe it's just the material here doesn't give him doesn't give him anything to do. But I don't care that he hooks up with Mila Kunis by the end. I just I just don't care. They don't really have any real chemistry on screen. So they have a love. There's a love. There, you know. So there's a there's a whole love arc romantic arc that is just there out of obligation rather than of being any good or working with the character with the actors they have chosen and then on top of that you've got actors that are really good that are completely wasted in this movie specifically Gillian Anderson as the head of MI5 and Jane Curtin and Paul Reiser as Kate McKinnon's parents if anything Kate Mc- those 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 three should have had way more prominence in this movie because they could out they could be they were way better than anything that happens with um than with with uh, Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon like the action stuff is solid at first but ultimately it just kind of it it kind of wanes out like it, it doesn't it it pulls off oh, it has a great first act. 
as soon as they get to Europe, it get it, it just kind of falls into place. Like, okay, here's what here's what we're obligated to do as a spy parody. So it doesn't really work in the long run. By the end of the movie, you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, I guess. And it doesn't. Uh, maybe other people will find more enjoyment out of this. Maybe they have a maybe they have a more affinity for Kate McKinnon's antics than me. I'm with, like, there's a whole point where we're supposed to feel bad that Justin Theroux told Kate McKinnon's character that she's a bit much. But she is a bit much. Like, that's the perfect description of her in this movie and in a lot of things. She's a bit much. She's not re- She doesn't really... She. I mean, that's the one thing. If you're going to 11 all the time, it it only works when you're hitting it all the time. Like... You, if you're going to 11 all the time, like Celine Dion, this thing only goes to 11. And that only works if you're nailing it every single time. Kate McKinnon is so hit or miss that the energy that she brings doesn't help when not everything hits. And I think that's also a problem with the improvisation of... The improv... The improv... That's not... I don't want to say improvisation, but the um, influx of improvisational comedy into cinematic comedy. Cinematic comedy works best when everything is is planned out and then maybe little improvs on set between the the actors can work to improve it. But you need a framework in place in order for things to work. You can't just wing it and make it work. That's why... Things like Anchorman don't completely hold up because a, there's only so far winging it can do. You can do like Linearama and do like ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum, but you need to have structure there. And so many comedies have have gone the have basically turned into from well structured brick houses to lean to shoddily put together tents. Like, uh, here, we'll, 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 like, paint it a pretty color, and, and and you don't, and it looks nasty looking. It's like, we did great. We don't know what you, you don't know what you're talking about. We handled this, and then the tent falls apart and collapses in on itself. Yeah, you need to workshop everything in order to fine-tune the comedy in order for it to work. You can't just just wing it and expect things to work. That's why comedies now aren't as funny. Like, Caddyshack had structure to it every step of the way. Uh, Most of Animal House had a structure to it. Vacation had a very solid framework to it, and then there were little bits of improvisation along the way, maybe with, like, lines of dialogue or something. But you don't want to... You need a hard structure and foundation to the story and to the movie in order for your comedy to work. And that's why so many comedies now just do not work. The last great comedy I've seen in a while is Game Night. And that's because it had that structure. The comedy came from the interaction of the characters and the structure of the story was solid and worked and the characters made it funny. This is not the case here. This is a very flimsy spy parody, and the characters do not elevate it. Like, there's even a chick here, um, 
who was last in Pacific Rim Uprising as the main Russian pilot for the Jaegers. And she plays a, a an ex-gymnast assassin character who's just there to be the antagonist and isn't really fleshed out or set up in any way. She just is able to do whatever the plot demands of her. So, Spy Who Dumped Me is pretty much exactly how I expected it. Overall, the spot, it's perfectly average. Not enough bad in it to make it unenjoyable, but not enough good in it to make it worth rewatching. It's just kind of meh. And it's the spy who dumped meh. So. We can fight back. We don't have to stay in darkness. We've survived all of this. I will fight for all of us. I've discovered something about myself this weekend. I am a sucker for superpowers. If you showcase kids discovering their superpowers, the use of superpowers in any sort of setting, adding superpowers to something automatically makes me more interested. Because what we have here is every young adult post-apocalyptic dystopian future, but with superpowers. That's the only difference. This is basically divergent, but with superpowers. And I was okay with that because I got my superpowers. Like, even the superpowers didn't look the best all the time, but I I like superpowers. This is my pick of the week only because, I mean, Super Christopher Robin is the overall pick of the week because more people would be interested in seeing Winnie the Pooh than every young adult movie but with superpowers. But my personal favorite movie of this week was the one with the superpowers, even though it wasn't very good. So, yeah, we've got Amanda Stenberg returning as a young, as a young girl who, who, is, who is a survivor of a vast and devastating plague that kills, like, 90% of the children on Earth. And the survivors uh, have this sort of reaction to the virus, and it provides them with some sort of superhuman ability. The lowest tier survivors have enhanced intelligence, can do more problem solving, can can interact, you know, have have a better understanding of lot and and have higher capacity for logic and things like that. The second tier above them are telekinetics. They can move things with their mind, and that's and that's kind of what that's kind of one of the the more more visual uh, powers that you see on the screen. Above the telekinetics are electrokinetics, I believe is what they're called. They're people who can summon electricity and generate electricity. And whenever they touch metal or touch something, they shoot electricity out from them. They're like, they're like little Pikachus, essentially. And as, as when they make contact with something, they begin to affect it. Above the electrokinetics are the pyrokinetics. They can generate fire namely through their mouths but they're not very well uh they're not they're not really shown in the movie enough they they're hinted at for the most part and then they're finally showcased in the in the climax but 
that's but the, yeah. So they pyro, they they shoot fire from their mouths like they're dragons, essentially. And then the top tier, which are, and the and the rarest and most dangerous of them all, are the tele are like sort of um, not telepaths, but uh, what's the thing that Charles Xavier does? You're, they're able to manipulate memory and persuasion. Let me see Charles Xavier's powers because they're basically Charles Xavier. For except they they're not um, tele, telepathic, but they they're able to um, affect memory and affect uh, and affect uh, uh, willpower. So let me see how they describe that in his uh, powers. Telepaths, perceived thoughts. Da, 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 da. It's all telepathy. Vast psionic powers enable him to manipulate the minds of others, warp perceptions to make himself seem invisible, project mental illusions. It's not that much, but what happens is, yeah, they're, it's all psionics. And they basically are a... Or, the highest tier oranges are able to, upon touch, either erase, a mem- erase themselves or erase any sort of memory from people's minds and, they, and, and then also... Affect willpower. They will. They. It's the Jedi mind trick. Essentially, you will do this, and then the person does that. And so they're considered the most dangerous of them all, just because they can manip. They can manipulate um, uh, will and and control minds and affect memory and that sort of thing. So what entails is every young adult dystopian future thing that ha- that you've ever read. It's the main protagonist, this time Amanda Stanberg, who elevates it more than Shailene Woodley or Chloe Moretz did. Like, I care more about Amanda Stanberg in this movie than I ever did about Chloe Moretz in The Fifth Wave or uh, Shailene Woodley in the Divergent series. Uh, but yeah, the protagonist ends up in trouble and runs away from authority that's trying to kill her. And she meets a group of friends that are like her. And it's all about them trying to find a place for them to be safe. And and meanwhile, there's the villainous organization working behind the scenes to try and stop them. And yeah, I mean, it, like I said, the bare bones of this are ev- are well trodden ground. This is every Y adult dystopian uh, future scenario thing. That the only difference is they have superpowers now. But I liked, but I liked that. I think that's what made it work for me because they should. They have a they have a group that's. Diverse, mainly. Uh, you've got uh, two black characters, an Asian character, and a white and a white character. The you know the the two love interests are are like in everything everything a, a black woman, Amanda Stenberg, a black woman, and uh, the white the white kid who's the tele who's the telekinetic. Uh, the black kid is the black the black boy uh, in the group is the green the elevated intellect one of the group. He's the one who can problem solve. He can read maps, no problem. He is just super intelligent, hyper intelligent. And then there's a little Asian girl, uh, Suzuki, who doesn't speak a lick in the movie, doesn't mention if she's mute, if she's just hasn't, has no interest in talking, is incapable of talking. If she doesn't speak English, they don't, they don't go into it. Maybe the book does. This is also based on a book. Uh, but yeah, she, she she is really she all of her stuff is done through action instead of dialogue, which works a little better because it's all visually represented. But at the same time, 
she's not really much of a character besides her not talking. You know, if she was able to talk and be a part of the group other than kind of the silent Asian character in the background, then maybe th- she would be more interesting, but I don't know. At any rate, uh, she is the electrokinetic in the group. And then Amanda Stenberg is the top-tier orange uh, psionic character. And... Yeah, and then as it follows, the the four of them travel try to try, try to find this secret hideaway for kids with super for the for the survivors. But then it turn, you know, but then but you know, but then the evil people find them, and it's up to Amanda Stenberg to step up and lead the revolution, a la the Hunger Games. So yeah, once again, this is all stuff that has been well trodden ground. I'm not saying this is one of my favorite movies. I'm not saying I'm gonna I care. To revisit it at any point. I'm just saying I'm a sucker for superpowers. I think it just comes from my love of superhero movies. Whenever I see superpowers showcased in some manner, I, I'm down with it. I'm cool with that. I love the concept of having superpowers. I have had so many so many writing ideas that I never uh, take the time out to flesh out and finish. But I want, I've always, you know, I love the idea of writing characters with superpowers because I always find that interesting. What's, how superpowers affect the world. What, you know, what people do with their powers. How it affects them mentally. Stuff like that is always interesting. And the stuff that's here, even though it's bare minimum of what to do with superpowers, I still like it. It's just right up my alley. So yeah, objectively... This is probably on par with The Spy Who Dumped Me. Personally, it's my pick of the week for me. Because I've, I liked it the most. Because I'm a sucker for superpowers, you know? Like, even though they have, like, Gwendolyn Christie as a, as a Terminator-style uh, uh, bounty hunter trying to track them down. And Mandy Moore is the doctor who's trying to help Amanda Stenberg escape the evil government. And they, they, they don't care. Like, the villain... The villain reveal is super obvious, and he and it and it's and it's completely predictable. I don't mind. That part doesn't bother me because I got my superpowers to kind of, kind of be like, well, you know, I got my superpowers, so who cares if it sucks? You know, that sort of thing. So yeah, overall, the darkest minds follows all of the YA tropes. I mean, it's not just the superpowers either. There's enough for me to enjoy that I didn't notice all of the tropes in question. I really didn't start to pick up on them until afterwards when I'm hearing other people talk about them. I honestly didn't mind this, that, because I got... Because, like, I like Amanda Stenberg. She is good. The character dynamics between the four kids, it's good. The final choice that she has to make at the end... It's 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 a it's a lot better than a lot of why how a lot of why YA, YA books handle it. It's 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 there's a lot of stuff in this movie that pushes boundaries, even though it can't show it v- visually all the time. That it's willing to address harsher situations. I mean, we're dealing with a situation now where kids are held in cages, and this is exa- these are kids in a concentration camp by the, held by the army. So I mean, like. The, I mean, it's not a direct correlation, but at the same time, it's hard not to think about either. So, this movie, so this movie isn't great. I can't exactly recommend people go see it because they'll probably won't like it. But personally, I didn't mind. You know, I didn't mind <laughs> the darkest minds, but that's just me. 
Lincoln saved America for the first time. It's now up to us to save America a second time. Dinesh D'Souza does not make movies. He makes propaganda. Pure and simple. In an ideal world, this would not be played in any movie theater, period. I should not be able to see this more than I should be able to see freaking Won't You Be My Neighbor, an actual documentary. Won't You Be My Neighbor is an actual documentary about the history of Fred Rogers as Mr. Rogers on PBS and his, and, and his work as Mr. Rogers. Dinesh D'Souza makes propaganda to placate to a far-right conspiracy base. He is, he is just there to try and legitimize the ramblings of Alex Jones. That's what he does. He should not be playing in more theaters than Won't You Be My Neighbor. That should not be a thing. I don't even know if he is playing. I just know he's playing more near me than Won't You Be My Neighbor, which may have to speak more to where I live. I mean, I do live in Ohio, even though it's the much more liberal-minded set part of Ohio in Summit and Cuyahoga County. Apparently, there's still enough of those nut jobs to drive theaters to carry D'Souza's nonsense. I won't get into the politics of this movie. This is not a political podcast. I'll suffice to say that everything that Dinesh D'Souza covers is a misrepresentation of actual history, and you should seek out actual credited historians before you seek out Dinesh D'Souza, unless you're an idiot. Unless you're an idiot who just needs to have your, your thoughts echoed back to you. I don't care, only because I, if I wanted actual history, I would seek out actual historians. I would not seek out a propagandist and an apologist. He is a conservative apologist, and is only out there to propagate the, the far-right conservative viewpoint. That's all he does. And especially the ties to uh, nationalism and religion. Oof. This is a god-awful movies grade, mo- grade picture right here. This is, this is, this is just straight-up trash. But, uh, suffice, yeah, suffice to say, Dinesh D'Souza does not, make act, does not, does not tell the truth. He presents a, his version of reality by comparing Donald Trump to Abraham Lincoln... And his far-right conspiracy nutjob base to the White Rose movement in Nazi Germany. Also, because Nazi, Nazi, the Nazis is a, is a shortening of National Socialism, the National Socialist Party, by having socialists in their name, they're clearly left-wing. Obviously. Why would they call themselves socialists if they weren't left-wing? This is the mentality you're dealing with, with Dinesh D'Souza. He is an idiot. He's either an idiot or he's a liar. And I'm assuming he's a liar because I, 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 I would prefer him to be an idiot. I would much rather him be just an incompetent buffoon, which I'll get into, than just be an outright liar. Because being a lot, having him, knowing the fact that he should, that he obviously knows better, but he's just willing to take advantage of people is far worse than just having him be an idiot.
So yeah. This one, I don't want to stick on the politics of this movie. Suffice to say that if you watch, if you follow my monk along to this movie, because I obviously was not going to sit through this alone and suffer and suffer in silence. This is, this is straight up. I'm going to say it. This is my worst movie that I've that I've seen all year. I this is the high bar. This is the high water mark for bad movies this year. This you have to be worse. Then Dinesh D'Souza's propaganda to be to beat worst of 2018 right now. This may actually be the worst movie I have covered on this podcast. In fact, before we get into my actual review of the movie, which I'm at more, I'm more going to focus on the filmmaking aspects of the movie instead of the uh, content that where content within. Only because that part is going to be more, that part is going to be more uh, prevalent to what I cover, which is movies. I don't want to be here all day trying to correct every mistake and misrepresentation of history that is in this movie. So, since I have started this podcast, the worst movies I have seen have been Norma the North and 9/11. 9-11 was worse than Norman the North because 9-11 specifically targeted people with a actual tragic event in our history and tried to use that as supplement for actual drama and pathos. It's manipulative and it's garbage. So, every year I've done this, I found a worse movie than the last. Norman the North was with the... Norman the North is much more watchable than Dinesh D'Souza's Death of a Nation. I would much sooner watch Norman the North again than Dinesh D'Souza's Death of a Nation or 9-11. This is, where we're co- this, is, this is what we're reaching. This is the point we're reaching, where the worst movie that I covered in my first year of podcasting is, it, it can't compete with the, mo- with the worst movie I've po- quite possibly seen in my entire life. I'd have to do a bottom 100 to try and figure out what movie I hated the most since I've covered movies, period. Like, I'm trying to think. Do I have my... I think I have my list for even before I did podcasts. Uh, going all the way back to when I did video reviews. So... Let me see. 2013. Top 10, 2012. Uh, not in order. Let me see. Tim and Eric was my worst of 2012. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I think that would wait, rate worse than uh, Norma the North for me personally, just because I just cannot stand that movie. I could, I still haven't had the had the nerve to go back and finish it. In, inappropriate comedy, also worse than Tim and Eric. Uh, also worse than Norma the North. Twenty sixteen was not a bad year if Norma the North was the worst thing to come out. I mean, Sausage Party also came out. I almost wonder if I shouldn't have put that higher, just in retrospect. But um, worst of twenty fourteen. Uh, I did not. I doesn't look like it. Best of twenty fourteen. Where's the actual list? Here we go. Uh, God's Not Dead was the worst of twenty fourteen. Meanwhile, the sequels. Ha- Meanwhile, there's been worse things than the sequel. Than the sequels to God's Not Dead. That's how that's been going. And then worst of twenty fifteen was. Nope. Where is it? Come on. Where did they go? There we go. 
Fifty Shades of Grey. So, interestingly, the Fifty Shades of Grey and God's Not Dead sequels have never been able to top the, the worst of the year, end of the year list. They, the sequels have, have, there's always been worse things than the sequels to two of the worst movies I've ever reviewed in one year. Or not even reviewed, just seen in one year. This, the, and Dinesh D'Souza's Death of a Nation is worse than all of them. This is quite possibly the worst movie I have ever seen, sat through, witnessed. This is quite possibly the worst, one of the worst things put to film. Not in a so bad it's good kind of way either. Just like completely and utterly reprehensible. This is, this is, this is not a movie. This is propaganda first and foremost. I think this is one of the few, if only, zero out of ten that I would give a movie. Zero out of ten. Nothing. I give this movie nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. So yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. I'll leave the politics speak for themselves. He's a he's an apologist, and he tries to legitimize far right conspiracy theories. He mentions the dark, the deep state, and reviews Richard Spencer like he's a human being. And then he tries to paint Richard Spencer as a socialist, trying to be trying to distance him from the right. Like, see, he's not with us. He's one of you guys. See, you're the bad guys. Clearly. Completely misrepresenting actual history and actual facts that we know that are concrete, that are provable in order to make his point. And his point is wrong and twisted and evil. So I'll just say that. It's, 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 it's almost villainous, the kind of mentality he pushes in his movies. He is, he is, he is, he is, he is, he truly is. Like, I'm a, that's why I wish... He was just an idiot because an idiot, prop, you know, propagating these ideas is, is is at least better than a vile person knowingly propagating these ideas and believing in them. That's just heinous. But since I since since I hopefully won't have to talk about him again, please, for the love of God, don't let me talk about him again, please. Please let this fail so much that, it, that I never have to talk about him again. Let's talk about his filmmaking, which is arguably the worst part of seeing a Dennis D'Souza movie. I mean, the crap that you have to witness in the movie, you can witness that on any 4chan board. If you go to, if you go to Slash Paul on 4chan, or if you visit most Reddit communities, you can find the crap that Dinesh D'Souza peddles anywhere, everywhere, Twitter... Twitter, Twitter, you can find it all over Twitter. Facebook, you know, your crazy uncle who, who shares every Alex Jones video on Facebook. You can find this information out there. It's, he's, he's, D'Souza's just trying to legitimize it. But let's talk about his filmmaking. Because this is a, this is a movie podcast. This is ostensibly supposed to be a movie. Number one, Dinesh D'Souza is not a good narrator. He does not present things in a manner. Michael Moore is a nerd and a and kind of a dork sounding. He sounds like one of those one of those guys that Patton Oswalt would play, uh, at, at, you know, in his twenties or something like that. Or he sounds like uh, what Brian Pussain. You know, he, he kind of sounds like what Brian Pussain would if Brian Pussain didn't have that 
deep, manly bass voice. Brian Posehn has his deep, manly bass voice, uh, even though he kind of sounds like a nerd, so it's all coming through his nose. I'm trying to do my best, Brian Posehn. Yeah, there, wait, 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 get it all up in the nose, get it all up in the nose. Hi, I'm Brian Posehn. I make, I make a Dungeons and Dragons podcast called Nerd Poker, and I'm, and I'm super into heavy metal music. I think I nailed it. Let me know if I nailed Brian Posehn in that because, oh my god, I love Brian Posehn. I would snuggle up with him if I could. But he is he is everything I, I I wish I could be. He really is. At any rate, yeah, um, Michael Moore is not, is not a great narrator either, and I'm not. That's why the comparison between Dejanus D'Souza and Michael Moore is so prevalent. They are the they are the yin and yang, the flip sides of each coin. The left wing has Michael Moore, the right wing has Dinesh D'Souza. I don't know if that's fair because Michael Moore can make compelling movies. You may not agree with the politics; he may re- misrepresent the facts of what's going on. At least he knows how to make a movie. I've seen Bowling for Columbine. I, he knows how to how how to make. He knows how to present a film, even if what everything he's saying is false. He knows how to present a film. Dinesh D'Souza tries to recreate... He opens this movie by recreating the the suicide of Eva Braun and and Adolf Hitler. And it looks like somebody's home movies. People who make movies direct-to-video for the sci-fi channel... That that air on the sci-fi channel have better production value than Dinesh D'Souza. They know how to shoot something... And make it look like a movie better than Dinesh D'Souza, who at best looks like a telenovela without nearly as good writing or performing. So yeah, there's all these crappy reenactments that are on that are on par with the stuff you see from Pure Flix. This is on par with the stuff you see from Pure Flix Entertainment. This is the love. This is the bottom tier level of quality that you get from a Dinesh D'Souza movie. Between those really crappy reenactments, you get Dinesh D'Souza trying to act like a documentarian. Where he's like, here's, here's, how, here's, how the, here's, how, here's how the left is actually the fascists. The fascist left is more fascist than the right. We're just God-loving Americans. He, he makes assumptions. He, he does the worst. Here's the thing. A good documentary filmmaker is like a good scientist. You don't have your thesis planned out. You don't. You perform the experiment. You do the research and present it unbiased. And then, through the revelation of the research, you rev- and through and through the course of the research, you reveal the truth and you present that fact. That is your finding. A good documentary is able to present the findings by the end through the course of the research that is the movie. That's what good documentaries do. Or if they're not those kind of documentaries, then they are a storytelling kind of documentary where it reveals a life story for somebody. It reveals their history as presented like a bio, like a biography. If it's not trying to tell a st- you know, is either telling a story or it's presenting things like a research paper. 
D'Souza is trying to present things like a research paper, but he's already precluded the findings. He He's already stated his findings. He just tries to find ways to prove that he is right. That's not how you science. A good scientist has no, has no predictions for what the outcome will be. A good scientist, a good scientist will state the, state the hypothesis, present the experiment, and allow for the results to speak for themselves, unbiased. If you're trying to present your own little research paper, you're supposed to do the same thing. State your hypothesis, present your research, and allow for the results to speak for themselves. You speak to actual historians, you speak to credited individuals, maybe speak to people who were there if you're talking about a specific person. D'Souza does none of these things. D'Souza presents his beliefs as the truth and then presents anecdotal evidence through people who are... Like, I don't... I couldn't even tell you if any of the people he interviewed are credited and credible figures in his, in his, in his, in the study of history in academia. I couldn't tell you if any of the people who he's interviewed in these movies are credible because I don't believe him for a second. If you agree to do an interview for a Dinesh D'Souza movie, I am automatically skeptical of your intentions and of your credibility because that's like interviewing with Alex Jones. The person is not a credible interviewer. They do not present the facts as they are. You are automatically in question for your credibility by agreeing to speak with this man. And there are plenty of other people like that. There are plenty of people who will misrepresent the, tr- the truth and present them in their own inimitable fashion, so to speak. Their own, their, their own sort of bias, their slant. But D'Souza is one of the worst because he is completely inept at it. Richard Spencer barreled through him when they interviewed. He, he, he rolled D'Souza down a hill. D'Souza was not prepared to actually interview somebody of Richard Spencer's caliber. Because Spencer knows how to interview people. And then he presents it like, oh, look, I totally got him, you guys. Check him out. He's true. He's not, he's not one of, he's not one of ours. He's a lefty. He, so we're, we shouldn't feel bad because he's not with us. Nope. No, sir. He just supports our president like we do. Yeah, he doesn't think these things through. So yeah, on top of incompetent documentary filmmaking, on top of incompetent actual filmmaking, there's a point in this movie towards the end, before it even finishes, the movie's not even done yet, and it just sits there for his crappy Windows Movie Maker music video. He takes some chick singing a patriotic song that sounds like garbage, by the way. I have no idea what the song is. I don't have no idea who the singer is. The song is garbage, and the singer is not great, and Dinesh D'Souza presents it like it's God Bless America. Which, why not just pick God Bless America? That's in the public domain! Have somebody sing God Bless America, set, set all the vistas and the sweeping helicopter shots, and all the garbage AMVs, you know, music video cheapo shots, 
and editing and movie maker 101 that you want to do to an actual song that people like. No, what's this? What, what even is this? It's like, it's like Schmod Schmash America because they couldn't get the rights to the actual God Bless America, which I'm pretty sure is in the public domain. And then it does end on, uh, after comparing Trump to Lincoln, because they're obviously equitable presidents. He has a gospel choir saying, Battle Hymn of the Republic. And just sits on that for like, I think two or three whole minutes. This movie is padded out. If it had just ended where it was supposed to end, it would have been 90 minutes. D'Souza pads it out as much as he can to two hours. This is, this is a level of incompetency on Tommy Wiseau's scale. You know what? I'm, I'm willing to say it. If Tommy Wiseau was an alt-right ultra-nationalist of whatever nationality he happens to be, and he made documentaries instead of uh, narrative film, he would be on par with Dinesh D'Souza. That, that's the level we're at. That is the level of filmmaking that we are at. At least Wiseau is, 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 a, is an idiot savant. He is able to do really bad things and make it funny with its incompetency. Because it's not malicious. It's earnest. This is malicious. This is a malignancy on the discourse. This has no right being in a movie theater. This is something you find on, like, YouTube in six parts. This is something that you should have to rent. Or, like, buy in a ten, ten for ten for ten dollars bin at Walmart. In fact, this should be exclusively sold exclusively sold through Walmart. This should not be shown in theaters for 10 bucks a pop. You should not be showcasing this to the public. This is an embarrassment. So yeah, there it is. There it is. Even with politics aside, this is quite honestly the worst thing I've ever seen. The politics make it even worse. This is arguably the worst thing I've ever seen on film. So leave it to Dinesh D'Souza to make the worst thing I've ever seen. This is, this is my life. This is the thing I've decided to do with my life. Way to go. So, with the reviews out of the way, let's get into the discussion. Let's have another downer, because we're talking about movie pass. Oh, boy. <laughs> Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one. And alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. Once more with Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr. Arg.
I don't remember what my initial topic was going to be this week. Let's see, I was covering Christopher Robin. Uh, uh, I, mean, I think it may have been a top seven again. I don't know. Uh, oh, no, this was initially going to be a Super, Mo- Super Mega Awesome Movie Review Madness because there was initially going to be like five movies coming out in theaters plus whatever I wanted to cover on DVD, which I ultimately didn't. But, yeah, so initially this was going to be like a jam-packed uh, weekend, but they've evened out August. And um, so I had to think of a discussion topic. And last week, while I was in the Radio Dead Air chat, uh, just before What the F is Wrong With You, um, he it, it's the actual word, but I, you know, I didn't want to get too explicit on, 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 on this particular show. But WTF... Wait, WT... F I W W Y. Watifui. Uh What the F is wrong with you? Uh, I love it. I, I love. Shout out to Nash and Tara and the whole RDA chat because um, you, you guys are, are, are amazing and I love you. But I believe it was Tom. Tom, if you're listening, shout out to you, Tom. Uh, Tom, for, Tom447 in the chat. I believe he or maybe uh, one of the other chatters. Tom's usually one I interact with about the show. But somebody brought up if I was going to talk about Movie Pass. I'll leave it at that. Whoever it was, shout out to you. We're going to talk about Movie Pass. And um, the big news broke last week when it was uh, when it was about when it when there was the big outage uh, in the lead up to um, in the lead up to Mission Impossible. But this week saw some much bigger revelations through all of it. So I think it's good that I waited one more week before I talked about it. Last week was when a lot of people were talking about it. But let's dig into Movie Pass. But before I get into it too, too deep, I want to shout out uh, Nick Stat at TheVerge.com. Uh, Anthony D'Alessandro, yeah. Uh, Anthony D'Alessandro at Deadline and Sarah Toy at Market Watch. Their articles on MoviePass are the basis for a lot of this week's discussion. And of course, there were, I mean, there, this has reached paper. This has reached top, uh, papers from USA Today to the Washington Post. This goes so deep. So, movie, you know, the, the downfall of MoviePass is. Is 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 no is is getting more and more coverage, and it woof woof is it bad? But let's get into it. It's a great concept, the idea that you pay a monthly subscription, a la Netflix, but you do it in order to get discounts on movie tickets. Make movie going more accessible. Allows for more people who are not getting who do not have as much disposable income as they should to pay for to pay to go to the movies again. That is a great service. It's a great idea. Make people make movie going more affordable. That is never not a bad idea. It was founded in 2011 initially, but went on a temporary hiatus until 2016 because most of the major chains, specifically AMC, did not want to be associated with the program and with the app. And in doing so, it left them without and it would it would basically mean trying to go to local chains of theaters. Whereas if they could get Regal, Cinemark, and AMC to sign on to the app, 
they would be good. And so they went on hiatus in 2011 all the way up until 2016, where by that point, former Netflix and Redbox executive Mitch Lowe took over the company. Uh, I should also say that this is a this was founded in part by Helios and Matheson, which is an analytics company that mines for data and tries to sell it to advertisers. So keep that in mind. Uh, Initially, uh, Lowe wanted to have a $20 per month price tag on the app, on the service. You pay $20 a month, you can see unlimited movies. He dropped that down to $15 a month. I mean, he initially had ideas for $50 to $100 per month premium services for this app. He eventually settled on $15. And then, right before the relaunch... He dropped it down to $9.95. He dropped it down to the same price as Netflix, thinking more people would sign up for it then. And so, once again, the key is not the subscription base. I'm, cur- I'm curious to see if this is how Netflix pays for so much, is the data mining. The data mining is the way to make money on the internet now. Adam Wearns Everything did a great coverage of this, because he covered, covered uh, the data mining stuff that Facebook and Google do, specifically, because they're the biggest ones. But he brought up somebody brought up the fact that if the internet was a paid paid for service, and so the internet itself, not just the internet service providers, but the actual function of the internet was paid for by itself in order to be used instead of it being a free service, you wouldn't have to rely on advertising and data mining for people to make money. By make trying to make the internet a free service for people. That's where people will. That's where companies will make their money, is they'll find a way to make money, and that's the price for having a cheap or free service provided to you. So if we, I forget what the actual terminology was, because you don't pay, you pay for internet. Clearly, that's what a service provider is supposed to do. But I forget what it was that he stated. I'll have to look up the episode again and report back. But basically. By making the internet free, making traffic to websites all free and open, the money was going to come from somewhere. And it happened to be through advertising and then through da- and now through data mining. That's where the money is on the internet. So it's any wonder that this, that this service was provided by uh, a data miner, a data mining company and analytics. Uh, at any rate... Uh, with this nine ninety five a month model, it did manage to start rising in popularity, and its stock rose significantly. I think its peak was midway through through twenty seventeen. It was big news, and then as steadily stocks started to steadily decrease, and profits definitely started to drop. But they did manage to regain uh, subscribers. Uh, there were even points where they dropped the you know earlier this year. MoviePass dropped their prices from $9.95 for subscribers to new subscribers would get $7.95 per month for joining MoviePass. And then eventually they dropped it down to $6.95 per month to join MoviePass. And then the $7.95, and so they messed it up and they switched it up so that the $9.95 is the unlimited tier. And then $7.95 would not only get you a limited number of tickets per month, but also a subscription to iHeartRadio. So they tried to tie it into that. But hey, they managed to hit 3 million subscribers by June of this year. A couple months ago, they hit 3 million subscribers. But that was just about where 
the money. That's about where the trouble started. Because by that point, by the time they hit 30 million subscribers, 3, 3 million, not 30 million. They wish they had 30 million. Uh, you know, the month before, they hit 3 million subscribers in June. In May alone, MoviePass lost $40 million. It's just total loss for the company. And, and, and so while all that's going on, so leading up to that was when they tried to found their own distri- distribution service and gave us American Animals and Gotti. So that was, right before that major loss was when they tried to distribute American Animals and Gotti. So that might explain the, the major loss was trying to bring those things into the fold. And... Now, most notoriously, in the lead-up to Mission Impossible, with 3 million subscribers hoping to get tickets, Movie Pass went dark the weekend, uh, the opening weekend for Mission Impossible. Completely dark. Nobody could use the app that entire weekend. And then when they came back, they announced that they would no longer offer tickets to, wide rele- to the big releases. So, for this weekend, I tried to see Christopher Robin using Movie Pass. You could not see Christopher Robin with your Movie Pass. I looked ahead, and it turns out, according to, I uh, believe, either Market Watch or one of the other. Uh, there's one that had an update to it. Which one was it? Here it is uh, the Deadline article by uh, Anthony D'Alessandro. He mentions in his latest update from last Monday that the Meg would also not be covered on MoviePass. So one of the the dumbest movies I'm going to have to see for the podcast is also going to have to come out of my own pocket because MoviePass can't afford to send me to it. Because MoviePass, much like Netflix, is hemorrhaging money. Just... Just bleeding out money all, every single day. They're, they're always operating at a loss and have had to be rescued from their parent company, Helios and Matheson, on more than one occasion. And so, uh, were they found, wait, were they founded by Helios and Matheson or did Helios and Matheson uh, buy them out? Entertaining entrepreneurs, Stacy Spikes and Hamlet Watt. Back major investors including True Ventures, AOL Ventures, Lambert Media, Moxie Pictures, and other investors. Okay, so it wasn't founded by Helios and Matheson. It was bought out, it looks like. Where do, where do they come in? Shit, where do they come in? Hold on a sec. Now the Wikipedia is not showcasing them. Yeah, they're they're owned by Helios and Matheson Analytics. And is the parent company that uh, finalized its merger in late 2016. So when 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 uh when MoviePass came back after that initial launch in 2011, they were bought out. The reason MoviePass got so big in the last couple of years, was because of Helios and Matheson Analytics. So that's that explains the big rise in MoviePass in the last couple of years. 
So they weren't founded by the company. They were bought out by the company. At any rate, uh, yeah, Helios and Matheson has had to funnel, like with YouTube and, and its parent company Google, Helios and Matheson Analytics has had to funnel in money to keep MoviePass alive because it is hemorrhaging money. And that, and so without, and so not to mention the fact that in order to compete with the much more, um, you know, much more innovative AMC service, which I'll get into, uh, AMC Stubbs A-List, MoviePass added peak pricing in order to try and, in order to try and add in some more money from users. Even, and all of this is because nobody is buying the data being mined by MoviePass. The data you mine from Facebook, from Twitter, from your social media, that's, that's marketable to uh, people. But MoviePass is much more limiting. All the data MoviePass gets is which movies you're paying to see. And they could pay, try to pay that to, I'm guessing, studios to advertise for you. Maybe to, based on which movies, which genre of movies they can try to find products to uh, for to sell to you, but it's not working. Companies are not buying the data being mined by MoviePass. So without that revenue stream, they aren't staying afloat. So which so that begs the question: Is MoviePass going to make it? Can we save MoviePass? Well, in the Market Watch article I read by uh, by uh, Sarah Toy, there is a um, an insider. Uh, his name is, I forgot to write it down his name, but uh, his name is I believe Richard Gruber. Let me see where is it. Uh, he was part of something called Gerber Kawasaki. Where the heck is it? Yeah, they're playing all kind. Uh, Helios Matheson is implementing all kinds of financial stuff to try and boost the stock price of MoviePass, but it just is not making. It peaked at thirty five dollars a share and is now almost down to a dollar. June twenty first of this year, um, Helios Matheson said that it only has eighteen million in cash after MoviePass. Uh, with movie in regards to MoviePass, this thing is hemorrhaging. Money. Bernie, uh, D. Brian Blank, a professor of finance at Mississippi State, says that uh, Bernie, it, it is burning cash at this point in the life cycle. Oh, burning cash at this point in the life cycle is fairly common. And he believes that the funding will come eventually. Uh, this is an interesting one. Marker Watch is an interesting article. It covers the financial aspect of the, co- of the company is, is, as it's d- debating whether or not it's uh, soluble. Uh, Jordan Nayland uh, from George Mason University ran the financials through something called the Olson model, a financial formula that takes into account things like net income, assets, liabilities, uh, as a means to predict a company's bankruptcy. Uh, Nayland found a very high probability of bankruptcy close to 99% based on the current model. So while one professor of finance believes that it's common, you know, says that it is common for companies at this point in their life cycle to lose that much money, 
and that makes sense. I mean, companies there's it's very it's it's kind of uncommon for a lot of companies to make it past five years, and even then, there's no guarantee. Markets change so drastically, but uh, yeah, um, to for for a financial uh, prof- for a for a okay, no, he's a, an assistant law professor, but he ran the by, by running the financials through one of their one of the uh, from one from one of the formula through one of the formulas and finding an almost a hundred percent probability of going bankrupt. That's not a good sign. That, that that's a pretty bad sign. Especially since uh, total revenues came to forty nine point four million, according to the most recent uh, filing with the SEC, and uh, and the company's cost of revenue for its third quarter was a hundred and thirty six million. It is not. It is not making the money it needs to stay in business. So yeah, it is trying to. Look down the Netflix mark Netflix Netflix model with their Movie Pass Ventures thing. So they're trying to adopt the whole Netflix ideology, which makes sense. I mean, the guy came from Netflix and Redbox, and that's kind of the model he's most familiar with. And he expects five million subscribers to break and break even by the end of 2018. So, and he's also look, hoping to roll out in Europe and Asia, since this is mainly in the North American markets. Um. But where is that Gerber fella? Here it is. Uh, Ross Gerber, president and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki Wealth and Investment Management. So he is, you know, he's the president of a financial firm, an investment banker. And he said the price didn't, it just didn't price it right. This is, this is the part that I was looking for. Uh, his, his, uh, his belief is that the fee needed to be at 20 or $25 in order to be profitable. And that actually makes sense. Think of it this way. $20 per month for unlimited movie tickets. A movie ticket costs at minimum $7. At maximum, $15. There are usually, on average, three movies to come out every weekend. So, let's crunch some numbers a bit. We've got three movies on average per weekend. Let's go with the lowest average, $7. And then you multiply that by four. That is $84 minimum. Let's do the maximum. You pay $15, you pay $15 a ticket. That's $45 a weekend times four leads you to almost $200 a month if you pay maximum pricing. So, by covering that twenty to twenty-five dollars a month, you would still be saving money, as long as you were see. You know, if you were, if you're like me and you want to see the new releases that come out, that twenty to twenty-five dollars a month would work. And then have the nine ninety-five be the bare minimum entry, where it's one movie per week, and then you could because if we do it that way, one movie a week, highest pricing would lead you to $60 a month. You would still be making, you would still be saving money on that. So if it was the 20, and so if it was the 20 to $25 range, it would be much more soluble. And that's where he started at. He started at 20 to $25 a month. 
for the unlimited service. He dropped it down to nine ninety five, thinking that by dropping by making it more accessible to people, more people would join and there would be more data to mine. The problem is, even with three million subscribers, there is not enough valuable data being mined from subscribers in order to keep the company afloat. If it if it was on the Facebook level of data mining in order to save that in order to in order to sell that information to advertisers, we wouldn't be having this problem. Advertisers are not interested in the data being mined from the MoviePass app. There's just nothing there that's valuable to them. Not to mention the fact that movie studios themselves are not buying into the model. They do not like the model of a subscription service paying for movie tickets. And if they do plan on doing it, they're more likely to do it through distributors like Regal Cinemas, like Cinemark, like AMC. That's who they deal with, the theater owners. They're more likely to use them or a, or a service like Fandango. If Fandango did a movie pass version where you signed up for a monthly service and you got, and you got so many tickets a month, that would be more, in, that would be more interesting to, the, to moviegoers. In fact, why isn't Fandango getting in on this? Fandango, Adam Films, have them adopt the MoviePass model where they can have a premium service to allow so many tickets per month or so many tickets per week even. And then you can buy, if you want to see another movie, you can buy through, through the actual service that they do provide, the, you know, their ticket pricing thing. Then you would have a valuable, then you would have a reputable company doing this model and more studios would buy into it. Is this is this in the works or something? Because this needs this, 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 that's an idea. That is a billion dollar idea right there. At any rate, uh, movie studios aren't doing it. Helios and Matheson, and then the Helios and Matheson want to try and focus more on the Netflix angle of being a distributor of stuff. So Movie Pass is probably going to if they're not. If, I don't know if the current models either they're going to charge more for the service, which makes more sense. Even though it may not be, even though it may drop in subscribers, but the data mining they're getting is not valuable to people. So Lowe is trying to turn MoviePass from a ticket buyer, from a ticket service, to a streaming service. He wants to go that route. He wants to turn it from Fandango to Netflix, which makes sense because he was Netflix Redbox, and it's gonna be. It's going to be interesting to see if that's the route it ends up going, and it just ends up being Movie Pass is just another streaming service in order to get. And they try to, then they just drop the whole ticket pricing altogether. That may just be end up where that just may where that just may be where they end up going. We'll have to wait and see. He the the pre, low does think that they will break even by the end of the year. So I'll I'll hold on to it. I'll you know what nah. If they're gonna, if I'm gonna have to hold off on uh, most of the, my releases, especially bigger named releases, in order to see movies, I may as well not even have the app. Like, it, how much, how valuable is that app to me? If I, if it's limiting the, if it's charging me extra in order to see movies, and then on top of that, limiting the number of movies I can see. I'll have to see when my charge is up because as long as long as I haven't hit it yet, I may as well just cancel now. So yeah, you heard it here. You heard it here first. I'm probably canceling out of Movie Pass. I'm jumping ship right now, and unfortunately, there isn't an alternative ship to 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 hail in order to get aboard because 
here's what our here's all our turn here's what our alternatives are for movie pass at the time at the time of this recording. The big one, the big one that's not lit, that's not tied to a specific chain, Cinemia. S I N E M I A. Their model is way more limiting. I, I do not recommend Cinemia for a person like me. Here's the here's their plans. At the low tier, their bottom tier, $3.99 a month for one movie ticket per month. $7.99 a month gets you two movie tickets a month. Standard definition, no 3D, no IMAX. $9.99 a month, same price as, uh, uh, about the same price as MoviePass. You get two tickets a month, but it includes IMAX and 3D. And then their highest offered tier is $13.99 a month for only three tickets. That covers a week for me. This is not a good model for me. This is a terrible model for me. Especially since it limits you to just three tickets. There is no way for you to buy more tickets through the app. It's just, here are three tickets. That's all you get until next month. It's a very limiting model. It could work better for casual moviegoers if you could only see one movie a month or something like that. Or maybe two movies a month. This might work better for you. This is a terrible model for me. This is not going to work out. Uh, let's go to the one that's more that's more uh, that's more accessible to me. Cinemark Movie Club. Th- theirs is a nine dollars a month uh, subscription model that allows for one two D movie credit per month with upgradable options like uh, Movie Pass's surge pricing in order to qualify for three D and IMAX screens. Only one ticket a month. For $9 a month. The only other addition is the... uh, You get a percentage discount on concessions. Which you can share with friends at the movies. And then you can buy additional tickets through the app for $8.99. Which, come to think of it, I may end up using that. It waives the online fees for uh, pricing... Come to think of it, that may be what I have to switch to. It's very the only the only d- downside is it's very limiting. It's limiting to only have one free. It was great to have f- to have unlimited free tickets to movies. It made this job so much easier. And this isn't even a job. It's still a hobby. A job a job implies that I'm making money off of this venture. I'm like, I'm like Movie Pass. I'm hemorrhaging money on this whole ordeal. So yeah, it's it's more like the Cinemia model, but at the same time, it also offers the concession discount and discounted movie tickets on top of the, on top of the monthly fee. I will say it's better than Cinemia for me because it offers the option to buy discounted tickets on top of the one free per month. It's better than the Cinema Connections which just earns you um, it's only just earns you rewards. It's, it's just the rewards program. But honestly it's not the best one out there. Besides MoviePass current, besides movie, what MoviePass used to offer, besides, you know, before it, it, it cracked the bed, 
The best thing on the market right now, AMC Stubbs A-List. Every theater chain has its reward program. Uh, Regal, Crown Club, Cinemark Connections, and AMC Stubbs. AMC uh, tackling, taking lead, taking its lead from MoviePass, implemented an A-list service to their Stubbs program. For twenty dollars a month, you can see three movies per week, regardless of format. That's what I need. That is exactly what I need in my life. Once again, the $20 a month model. That's, that's the right pricing to cover the costs. And since this is AMC ticketing, it's, only, it's, it's, just, it's just eating the price out of its own pocket. And it's, it's covering, it covers it by the basis of the subscription model. The only problem, there's only one problem with that. Let me tell you where the nearest AMC movie theater is. I live in Northeast Ohio. When AMC bought out General Cinemas, that was the third most popular uh, chain of theaters in my area. Regal was still the biggest. Cinemark hadn't quite made it here yet. But it was Regal and, and AMC. AMC declared bankruptcy and all of the AMC theaters in my area left. The closest AMC to me currently what the oh what hold on Google Maps was being weird let me let me try it in a different browser. Closest AMC to me currently is 26 miles, 32 minutes. And that's through a construction zone on top of that. I'd have to be driving essentially up to Cleveland from Akron to go to, to, go to an AMC. The closest theater to my house It's not, it's not the best theater, but the closest theater to my house, three minutes less than a mile. If I could walk straight through neighborhoods, that it would prop. In fact, if walking distance, walking distance to this theater is still less than a mile, and it would still take twenty minutes to walk. Ten minutes, ten minutes to drive, twenty minutes to walk. That's the closest theater to my, to my house. The closest really good theater to my house is 15 minutes away, about 12 minutes away through, okay, no, that's 12 minutes away through, uh, through, the, free, through the highway. My normal route, oh, wait, I haven't done that one before. That's a weird one. It's a really weird one. Sorry, I just noticed that it's they having me the way that they're having me go on this uh 
on 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 this map is a really really weird way to uh, drive to my theater. So I was trying to find. Let me find a way to. Here we go. No, 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 not the freeway. There we go. That route is fifteen minutes, five miles. Huh. Wait, so you're telling me I've been taking longer to get to the same place when I could just take the route that they suggested? Well, damn it. I'll have to remember that. Apparently I've been doing it wrong. Like, half of one, six, six of one, half a dozen of the other, but still. I, you're listening to me discover that I've been going the wrong way to get to my, get to my movie. Apparently... Apparently, I should just be taking uh, taking the auto-generated route by Google Maps. <laughs> At any rate, uh, once again, 15 minutes, 5 miles to get to the nearest good theater. Quality theater. Cinemark Theater. So the Regal Theater that's right by my house, kind of lower end, doesn't have a lot of investment in it, kind of lower tier. I don't think it gets a lot of traffic to it. It's also Regal, because so it's lower quality concessions. Just saying. Maybe your Regal has better concessions. The standard Regal concessions in my mind have never been good. I pooped my pants New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I saw Shape of Water and pooped my pants on my way to my parents' house because I had to poop so hard because of the Regal popcorn. Regal popcorn made me poop my pants, is what I'm saying. Cinemark has had me go, has made, you know, has, has had me, you know, has had a, hasn't sit well with me depending on how much the popcorn has had to sit there, as long the popcorn sat there. Before they scooped it. But it's Orville Redenbacher popcorn. It's a higher quality grade of popcorn. Is what I'm saying. And it's not as greasy. As Cinemar- as uh, Regal's popcorn is. Regal's brand, Regal brand popcorn. It's way greasier and oilier. Than the Orville Redenbacher. That they use at Cinemark. But that's just me. That's just me. Your mileage may vary based on your, uh, your particular Regal. I know the Regal done by my brother. Is way nicer. So... Your mileage may vary based on your area. Suffice to say that the closest AMC theater is a half an hour drive on the freeway. The next closest one? Oh, uh, it's about, what is this, uh, on the other side of Cleveland? Yeah, the other side of Cleveland, uh, um, the, on the uh, west side, west, on the western suburbs. That is a good, oh, 40 minutes. To get to another AMC. 40 minutes. That's how close AMC is to my area. I would love to have to make use of the AMC at the AMC Stubbs membership. That is the perfect service to replace MoviePass for me. As it stands, I'm better off signing up for Cinemark Movie Club because there's a closer... Cinemarks are way closer to me than AMC and Cinemarks are just better theater than Regal. I'm surprised Regal hasn't gotten in on this, but then again, most people aren't going to Regal Cinemas. (laughs) They They just don't... They just aren't putting the investment into their theaters to make people worth going... To make it worth going to them. So, that's just... That's just my comparison. I, I, you know, if there's not a, if that's not a soluble discussion, soluble, why, I mean, that's not a, that's not how you use that word. 
If there's not a better discussion topic, uh, for if I find a week where it's just like, I got nothing. I've already talked about these things before. I might actually do a topic on movie theaters and what I believe to be the best movie theater. Honestly, best chain is probably AMC. Best, more widely available chain is Cinemark. Cinemark and Regal are the most widely available chain of theaters. Cinemark is better than Regal, but AMC, where if you have one near you, is the best high is the best um, massive chain of theater of theaters. But honestly, you're better off finding a local theater chain that you like. If you have a, especially if you have a local theater that's owned and operated by somebody in your town, as long as they're a good theater, just support them. Go support them. I know the theater in Kent is locally owned and operated. It's a solid theater. Uh, there's a, the local. There's a local art house and a local one screen theater in, the, in Akron. People still support them. Not enough that they can do like major renovations. Uh, I know the art house uh, screening is very small, but they do sell out. I couldn't see. Um, what was it? What did I want to see? A couple of weeks ago, it was. Um, it wasn't "Won't to Be My Neighbor." It was, but it was something. It was something that I wanted to see. Uh, that was getting a lot of traction, and they were completely sold out. They had completely sold out of the screening. So they're, they're at least getting the money in. I don't know if it's enough to expand or not, but if they could expand and offer more seating, that would be amazing. Because uh, So shout-out to the Nightlight in Akron. Shout-out to the Highland. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Actually, come to think of it, hold on a second. I want to see something. I haven't gone to the Highland in, I think, a year. I have not been a good... I've not done a good job of supporting the Highland. So I want to see something. What is playing at the Highland right now? Mission Impossible Fallout. Are they doing the Meg? They are doing the Meg. You know what? That's That settles it. For the big for the big releases, I'm supporting my local theater. I'm doing my part to to support movies locally. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go support my local theater. I'm much closer to it now than I was when I lived with my parents. So I have no excuse to not support the the fine fine Highland Theater in Akron, Ohio. It is my obligation as a movie lover to support this locally owned and operated theater. Especially since it's, I haven't had a bad uh, screening there. I have yet to have a bad screening at the Highland. Why don't I go to it more often? What is wrong with me? I mean, what's this? Sorry, I just noticed something on uh, Fandango. They're selling pre, they're pre-selling tickets to something called Siberia. Oh, that's one. Oh my God, that's wonderful. Oh my god, the Highland is showing a, a Keanu Reeves movie with 6% on Rotten Tomatoes one night only. Oh, please tell me it's a one night only event. Oh, please. 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 oh, oh no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. That's the night of my audition. Ah, oh, man. Oh, well. I'll find, I'll find you again, Siberia. I'll find you again. I probably won't have another chance to audition for Avenue Q. I'm giving you a lot. I'm giving you all a lot of backstory into my personal life right now. But I've also run out of things to talk about uh, with Movie Pass. Suffice to say that 
it'll be a miracle if they make it to the end of the year. And if they do make it to the end of the year, Mitch Lowe wants to turn it into Netflix. So the current model of MoviePass, you might as well jump shit now. Move to Cinemark uh, Movie Club. Move to AMC A-list, AMC Stubbs A-list. Movie Pass is on the down is on the downturn. I'd jump ship now. I wouldn't and I would and I wouldn't su- subscribe to it. Uh, I wouldn't subscri- and I wouldn't subscribe to it if you if given the chance. Oh, please tell me this is this is this is isn't only this is not just playing one night no movie time. Oh man, oh man, it's a one night only screening. Wait a second. This isn't a fat. Wait a second. Oh no, my job! My job means I can't do that! Oh man! This is like a one day only event! Oh. I'll have to wait for it to come out on DVD. I want. That. that if it's below 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, I have to see it. By the way, Gotti, I think, is still, still at 0%, last I checked. Let me see. Rotten Tomatoes is a garbage website, but it's always fun to. It's more fun to see in um, in, as like a as, as like a sort of uh, like what the what what the general what like an average sort of consensus is on a movie's quality. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean a damn thing, but it but it's interesting to see, especially if it's considered uh, lower. Anything lower than 50 is worth at least checking out out of curiosity. If it's below 10%, you, you gotta, and you love bad movies, you got to give it a shot. By the way, Gotti is still at 0% in Rotten Tomatoes. And there is something in streaming right now. Oh! Oh, yes! Top DVD streaming. Jim Carrey's Dark Crime, 0%. Ha! Oh, that, I gotta check that out. That could be a great uh, bottom seven for my for the for me this year. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Anyway, uh, I think that about does it for the discussion. Suffice to say that Movie Pass is on the way out. Cinemia is not all that great unless you're just not an avid moviegoer. I would recommend Cinemark Movie Club or AMC Stubbs A-List. Depends on which theater is more widely available near you. If you're in a major metropolitan area that has an AMC. Go, use AMC a, AMC Stubbs A list. If you have, if you're more, if there's more Cinemarks in your area, use Cinemark Movie Club. They're better than they're the better alternatives to Movie Pass at this point. I might, I'm, I'm making the, I'm going to be making the shift this week. So that 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 that's all you need to know about this topic. So with that being said, let's get into the uh, final segments. This time around, I am introducing a brand new segment for what I like to call. And now a stopover on Patreon Corner. By the way, uh, I did a major overhaul of the Patreons, which I'll break down first. Uh, yeah, I want to do uh, some plugs for what's going on over on Patreon because I've done a terrible job of doing it in the past. So if I make, make it a weekly segment, I, it gives me no excuse. So for right now, there was a major, major change to how I ran my Patreon. And I said I would explain it in the uh, most recent Make a Better Movie episode that I did for, um, that I did for uh, um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. 
And what had, hap- what had happened was, I don't want to do the whole, what had happened was, because that's, that's, ter- that's not a thing a white people should do. Um, but what had happened was that Jim Sterling released his State of Sterling episode for, I think, the week? I think it's every two weeks or a month. But he released his most recent uh, State of Sterling. And he broke down why he doesn't believe in the tiered system for Patreon. Namely that you should not withhold content based on how much somebody can pay. And given my proclivity towards the socialist angle of things... I'm surprised I stuck with the tiered model as long as I did because he is absolutely right. Content should not be withheld based on uh, ability to pay. I mean, it work. It can work depending on what content you're making available. But for what I'm doing, there's no reason to have a tiered model. It just was a bad invest. It just was a bad setup, and it's no wonder I didn't make a single cent from Patreon. Because the the model, I what they didn't give people a reason to sign up for my Patreon. There's no reason for them to to for to sign up. For, there was no incentive for to give as little as a dollar a month. So there wasn't any incentive to give even more. So here's what I've done. The tiers have been swept away. There are no tiers. There's only one. There's only one. There's only one kind of donation you can make to Patreon. And it can be as little as a dollar a month or as high as however you're willing to pay per month. If you have $5,000 extras burning a hole in your pocket every month and you want to donate it to the podcast, be my guest. I'm not, who am I to tell you what to do with your money? So there's only one tier. The, the multi-tiered system is dead. Long live the single-tiered system. And what that means is every, mo- every month for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to all my episodes. I mean, you get early access to, to the episodes of this show specifically. And once I if, and then if I can make make a better movie uh, public and go on the main feed, you can get early. You will get early access to make a better movie as well. After that, it's access to the archive and then all future episodes of both Make a Better Movie and the Munchalongs. You'll have access to every single Munch Along that I've done. You'll also, even just for as little as a dollar a month, be able to suggest... You don't have to pay the, 20, the $15 a month to suggest content. If you have a movie that you want me to cover uh, on the podcast, on Make a Better Movie, or, on the, or, on Munch, or do a Munch Along for, even if you pay a dollar a month, you get to suggest that. You get, you get to suggest a movie for me. And then, of course, every patron will get a shout-out at the end of every episode. I think this tier system works way better for what I'm doing, for the audience that I have. It's a much better model, and I'm surprised it took me this long to realize that. It took, it took Jim MFing Sterling's son to get to that realization. Uh... So to keep things fair, you will only get one recommendation per at, at a time. You cannot suggest multiple recommendations at a time. So one review, one make a better movie, one munch along at a time. And every, every patron will get their request in the order in which it was received. So if you're able to get in your request early, I, that, then you will be earlier you, you will be higher in the list. For when I cover it. So. 
Once I get yours, and then once yours is once yours is clear, I'll send you a message to let you know. Hey, you can suggest a new this. You can suggest a new make a better movie. You can suggest a new review for the podcast, and then you can fill that again until you have no nothing better to recommend. This and this also gives me a chance to cover movies that I wouldn't think of seeing either. Um, like things that are much older on DVD, maybe some, something more obscure if I can find even find it. Uh, things that just aren't playing in theaters. So I'm excited for this. And then, of course, I'll keep a Google Sheet uh, for patrons to keep track of it themselves so that they can see where, they're, where they stand in the list. And, uh, when, and then, of course, they'll see when they're uh, of it. And then, of course, I'll have like a thing with like available... Um, available... Um, Avail- you know, availabilities in f- with your name attached, and then movies that I've covered, so you know what not to recommend. People probably won't even look at it, but I'll make the list nonetheless. Uh, the goals are still pretty much the same, but I've limited. I- I've dropped the first goal down to ten dollars, and that goal is to allow for patron requests. If I can reach ten dollars a month. I'll allow for patron requests. So once I reach $10 a month, patrons can request whatever they want. So if I can get two $5 patrons, both of them can start requesting stuff for the podcast. That's all it takes. And then after $10 a month, we've got the $25 a month goal, which is now making a better movie on the main feed. That was my initial uh, goal for the podcast. I've just moved it to number two to allow for patrons to start requesting stuff as early as possible. And then after that, I've dropped the superfluous goals and I've streamlined them. So now it's not, oh, now once we reach this goal, then you can make requests for this series instead of just requests for this series. It was a very stupid model I had. So now the jump is from $25 a month to $100 a month. If we can do $100 a month, I will start, start doing video reviews. And then video, and then you can request either an audio review or a video review for the podcast. And then, but hopefully by that point, I'll have had the YouTube channel up and running again because I know for a fact I want to do um, the. I, I want to try my hand at the Godzilla retrospective again after my failure of it at 2014. I want to see if I can't do that again, and and for that to happen, I want to have a good chunk of the. Popcorn Junkie plays with himself uh, footage edited down. I want to start that again once all the footage is ready to air. And you, even if it's just, uh, even if it's not gonna, it's even if it's gonna take forever to get to reach the reach YouTube. Some of the stuff I'm just gonna cut from YouTube. They won't. They will just be lost to history. Uh, but I want to. I want to edit down a bunch of the footage, and I just need to have the motivation for it. That's the problem. I must work harder, to quote my favorite character from Animal Farm. And then uh, at $200 a month, uh, I'll be re- I want to revitalize the old series, as, and immediately after the premiere, pe- patrons can request stuff for, that, for those three series as well, them being Epic Fail, which is about box office bombs, uh... Sequelitis, which is about franchise movies, sequels, prequels, midquels, remakes, and Bad Adaptation, which is more in line with The Dom's Lost in Adaptation and Crimson Rogues. Um, what is Crimson Rogues series called? 
I've completely forgotten. It's been so long since I watched him. But uh, whatever his uh, adaptation series is called. I know Crimson Rogue is the other one that does it. Dom is the big one. He's the he's the main... He's the biggest person I know that covers adaptations. But uh, Crimson Rogue is, I think, the one who's been doing it longer. Uh, the book was better. That's what it is. Um, so, so if I can, so yeah, it, that's kind of the idea behind what bad adaptation would be is that sort of style of comparing and contrasting uh, the book and the film. So we'll see uh, if um, we'll see if uh, we'll see if we can reach that point. But patrons will be able to request episodes for those series as well once once they've premiered on YouTube. And of course, they'll be exclusive to Patreon up until their air date on YouTube. So, hopefully, this new model will bring in more patrons. I think. I think so. I think if I, I think I should have followed this model from the beginning. So we'll wait and see. Uh, I do want to double check just in case. Uh, okay, so it's not it's not too widely known yet. So there hasn't been too much. Uh, Traffic on that sense, but at least I'm making it aware. I'm making people aware that the Patreon Patreon tiers have been completely revamped. So hopefully, after this episode, we'll see what happens. And speaking of Patreon, the two things I covered this week are Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and the Tigger movie. I revisited the Tigger movie, and it features one of my most prominent sad jams. Uh, Your Heart Will Lead You Home by Kenny Loggins. It, it was my sad jam after my grandpa died, and it is still it still tears me up. It's just... For, for a hopeful and uplifting song about your heart leading you home and finding, finding your home amongst your friends and family, it is a downer melody, a downer chord structure. It is like... It is like a super, super sad song. But it's supposed to be uplifting. It's really weird. So, Tigger, Tigger, basic, basically all you need to know is the Tigger movie, I would say is better than Christopher Robin even. I think it's more in line with how we see Winnie the Pooh. And it's a much more thoroughly presented movie. I still had plenty of stuff to poke fun at. That's where I first discovered the where does it go aspect of poo eating honey. And then the movie itself is, I think, sorely, sorely underrated. And I'm glad I got a chance to revisit it. I did cover Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children on the podcast. I haven't gone back and listened to that, but I did break down what I think would make it better. And if you want to hear that, you can find that episode on Patreon as well. Now, only as little as a dollar a month, and you can check those episodes out. And of course, you can also. And then, of course, you sh- and then of course you can always find a copy to the RSS link as well if you want to listen to them on the go. So that's all that's been going on in Patreon Corner this week. Hopefully, I can start using this to do reviews of other movies, and then you know continue to showcase what's been going on on the Patreon. So, so thanks for indulging me with this. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right, we've had a bunch of major releases. We had three major releases and then one sort of indie release this weekend. Let's see how everybody turned out in the box office. 
going to Box Office Mojo. And what we've got here is, um, well, our premieres this week. Uh, Destination premiered at number 13 with $2 million, no budget listed. I'm assuming that I'm assuming that's enough to make it profitable. Like Blumhouse, Dinesh D'Souza just makes his movies so cheap that any amount of money will will keep him afloat. Meanwhile, uh, we're uh, eighth grade is not even though it's getting into more theaters, it's not getting is not seeing an increase in profits. So that's kind of sad to see. Uh, dropping out of the top seven from last week is Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which dropped down to number ten. Uh, Incredibles 2 finally dropped out of the top seven, and I believe that means it also made its billion dollars. Yep. Billion dollar movie, The Incredibles 2. Congratulations. And then premiering just under the top seven is The Darkest Minds, with only $5.8 million and a budget of $34 million. This movie is not going to see a sequel. It, this series is dead. Which... With the diminishing returns of young adult fiction, you'd think Hollywood would ease up on it. But, oh well. Anyway, number seven this week is last week's number six, and that is Ant-Man and the Wasp, which brought in $6.1 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $195 million, and its world total up to 426 This movie is fine. It's number one of the Ant-Man series. Um... Marvel first sequels, it's number six. Uh, How is it? Number six. And it's 16th overall in the cinematic universe. So it's, Ant-Man is still not the most profitable of the Marvel cinematic universe. But he's doing well enough. And he's done, he's already surpassed it. He's already kind of, he's already on his way to surpassing his uh, predecessor. So he's good. Ant-Man's fine. Uh, Dropping down from number four to number six. Is Hotel Transylvania 3 bringing in $8.2 million, which uh, brings its domestic total up to 136 and its global total up to 338 which still ranks it at the bottom of the Hotel Transylvania series. And it just goes, but even that, even with that, it's still profitable. It's more profitable overseas, but hey, this movie still, this, this series has still got it going on. So good for them, I guess. Dropping down from number three to number five is The Equalizer 2, bringing in $8.8 million, bringing its domestic total up to 79.8 and its global total up to $87.5 million. It's made back its budget. It still hasn't made enough to to equate to the original Equalizer. Hopefully it can recoup some losses on DVD, but it just isn't making the money it needed to sustain itself. So hope, so I'm assuming that means we're only going to see two Equalizer movies, which, honestly, I'm okay with. I'm fine with that. Dropping down from number two to number four is Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which brought in nine, $9 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $91 million and its global total up to $230 million. The foreign markets love this movie. How much is it made? Who, who is supporting this movie? UK! UK, I blame you! You brought you gave this movie $37 million. You're the most to blame for this. I mean, everybody is to blame for this, but UK is the most to blame after us for this. Because you, you all keep supporting this movie. Good for you, I guess. And thankfully, it's still not making as much as the, as the original, but... 
Damn if it didn't make back its money and prove that there could be a Mamma Mia 3 Super Trooper down the line. Oh, God, Mamma Mia Super Trooper crossover. I've, I've spoken that into existence. Premiering at number three is The Spy Who Dumped Me. And that brought in 20, $12 million this weekend. No word on a foreign market, how it is in the foreign markets. Doesn't seem to have been released worldwide. Uh, it cost $40 million to make, so the, no, people were not interested in seeing this movie. This was not, this, this just did not have what it took to really drive people to go see it. So I'm not surprised that it, that, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised by the budget. That, that seems about right. I'm just not. I'm also not surprised that not enough people wanted to go see this movie. It just did not look like it. It felt like an August release, so not so. No surprises there. Number two is premiere is the other premiere this week. Christopher Robin brought in twenty five million dollars this weekend. No word on a budget. Uh, foreign market brought in brought it up to twenty nine million dollars, almost thirty million dollars. Opening weekend. It it premiered behind Pete's Dragon. Not wait, that's domestic gross. So actually opened higher than Pete's Dragon. So we might actually see a longer run for uh, Christopher Robin. Does it have a list of budget? Gross. Da, 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 no word on budget. Let's check the wiki. Let's check the wiki on Christopher Robin. For a budget. $75 million. That means this has to make on the upwards of $200 million to be considered uh, in the black. So we'll see if it can make that back. Maybe the foreign markets will make up for it. Um, Sadly, if you know anything about China, they probably won't show this. Because there's a thing that there's a meme tied to Winnie the Pooh in China. And he probably won't get any traction there. Just... Just the internet in action. At any rate, even Christopher Robin and his trip back to the 100 Acre Wood could not outsell this week's number one for two weeks in a row, Mission Impossible Fallout, bringing in $35 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to 124, and bringing its global total up to $329 million. This is already profitable. It's it's already profitable. Anything after this weekend... Is gonna bring. It's gonna make it. Is anything after this weekend is gonna make this movie golden? So Mission Impossible is still making in that cash money, and and it's gonna be interesting to see how they follow this one up. Especially since this is my second favorite, and this is arguably the the most well regarded entry into the series. So Mission Impossible is still going strong. But we'll see what time to see what they do next. So that was this week's box office report. And that means. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. I'm not quite sure of the release schedule for this weekend. I know The Meg is coming out. That's the big release this weekend. But. I use the numbers. I'm gonna. I can also check IMDb to be for, to be to be certain for weekend release. They usually list um, 
they usually have a good model of what's coming out in theaters per weekend. The uh, Meg is the big one. There's a couple opening up in, like, Black Klansman is coming out in limited release. Uh, there's a couple of other indies out that are coming down. There's supposed to be that new A24, A Prayer Before Dawn, uh, about the the English boxer in a Thai prison. Uh, and then um, uh, one that I've been looking forward to, Blind Spotting, is supposed to uh, open up wide this weekend, which, according to the numbers. So we'll have to wait and see. But so, but for right now, let's take a look at the let's take at the first three known wide releases, which are. Which we start off with the Meg. Mana one research day. Hey, I was done. I wasn't done reading. Oh man. Wow, nice take, kid. What force did they cut you down from? What's that? What's that? Don't move! They can't see you if you don't move! There's a monster outside. Once again, dynamite, dynamite take, kid. You sure don't want another one? Warner Brothers. What you people discovered is bigger than we ever thought possible. What do you mean, you people? It's the largest shark that ever existed. A living fossil. Hi, Ruby Rose. Over two That's right, Ruby Rose is in this. Joy. Oh, hey, it's Avatar Underwater. Not sure if giant squid blood is supposed to be worn. They're supposed to be, like, purple. He's kidding, right? Oh, no, the puppy. I think this is the first time I've caught on that this is supposed to take place off the coast of China. Why don't you just put a tracker on it? Like, you genuinely... Did you guys ever watch Shark Week? Oh, Rain Wilson, you're so much better than this movie. Chomp! He looks heroic, but he's kind of got a negative attitude. On this! You on this, you ugly. I mean, I'll say this: it's better than using like a, a slower, minor key version of um, of that song. Uh, but yeah, this looks so dumb. I told my nephew uh, that this was coming out this weekend, and he's like, "Oh, we gotta see that." He's my bad movie companion. So he and I are... Oh, we, we are going to have two this weekend. Because we've got that. And we've got the other one we've got coming up this weekend. The Slenderman. Attorney at Law. Let's take a look. Okay, Twitter poll. If you could stay one age forever, what would it be? What about the age we are right now? Seriously? Sometimes I wish we could just get out of this stupid town together. Oh, 
Honestly, I think it would be more interesting to do a movie of the uh, girls who actually uh, tried to... Oh, by the way, yeah, Sony! Thanks, Sony! I had such good things to say about you, Sony! Thanks for proving me wrong again, Sony! Charlie Brown and Movie Studios, I swear. Slender Man. Oh, God. He preys on innocent youth. Oh, God, they're haunt- he's haunting the computer! Oh, great. I think this is how we get- Summon him! Those who hear the three bells toll accept his invitation. Oh, God. You must close your eyes. Katie! Opening your eyes. Only once you've heard the third. Oh no, he's in the background! It's so scary! He gets in your head like a virus. The, le- the legend! The legend shows his true. F- yeah, I bet! He's a creepy pasta! Get over yourself! Oh, God. But what about the letters? You have to find the letters. Where is your flashlight? Slenderman. Slenderman, attorney at law. Slenderman, Speederman. And Superman, attorneys at law. Ugh. <laughs> oh, God, this is gonna suck. I can't wait to take my nephew to it. He and I are gonna crack up. Wait till my nephew sees this. He's gonna crack up. Uh, I have no idea what that story was even about. I just know um, my local radio show plays it. And then the last of the wide releases, as far as I know, is a little indie movie directed by Ken Marino, of all people. Dog Days. Let's take a look. Certainly in the dog days of summer, it is going to be a hot, hot, hot. Yeah, he said it. He said it. Uh, keep the change. This is $1. Uh, here. You look beautiful. Big dogs. Happy dogs. Large pepperoni? No offense, but is your dog pregnant or just super fat? I called you for pizza, not opinions. This is why kids don't like old people. Sad dogs. His appetite is down. Sam needs to get out there. Hi, Tignataro. That'll be $300. Four dogs, 12 people, one story. Yesterday. Her little face looks so angry and happy at the same time. Aw, man. Pregnancy has changed your sister. Hi, Tom Lennon. She has a range of a chimp. You keep my dog alive until I get back from the hospital. Who is that? I think it's a dog policy, so I'll get a Crap, who is that? How am I going to get you up there? Oh, come on in. Would it be possible to, like, volunteer? Yes. Yes. I'm dirty. Mr. Pepperoni. I'm dirty. Mabel. Mabel. Say you danger. Lost funky. Sweet people. Oh. Today is a former LA Ram, the co-host. This tackle doesn't know. Uh, the morning news show. Whoa. The audience loves you two together. Charlie, every spot you've sniffed on this walk is the same. Just pee anywhere. 
Finn Wolfhard is that kid. I want to help you find your dog. You should yeah. be my best friend. Oh, God, that kid is going to be cloying. Ava Longoria. Adam Pally. Almost don't recognize without steam coming out your ears. Our landlord just sold the building out from under us. What about a fun John Bass. The new tricks charity advantage will come on down. Get ready. Oh god, there's gonna be a concert sequence. To unleash the their hearts to us to love and to be loved. And I find that beautiful. I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. Oh, that's just my equipment. Whatever you think is happening is not the dog. Oh hi, puppy. Ugh, just why? No, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. I don't want it. I don't... I can't watch cute dog videos on the YouTubes! Why would I see a movie of this? So I can see celebrities talk about cute dogs? Also, by the way, this is from the writer of The Miracle Season. Thanks, I hate it. Uh, I kind of hope this is pushed back. And then just doesn't come out at all. And then is sent direct to video. Because that's where it belongs. This is not a good movie. This does not look like a good movie. And I hope I don't have to sit through it. Because I'm not looking forward to it. But like I mentioned. Blind Spotting is also uh, uh, looking to come out wide this weekend. So let's take a look at this trailer for Blind Spotting. What Code Black. I would like to get out. Look at this. I'm better one in the glove, though. Yeah. I ain't trying to go back to jail. $200. Please let me Collins. out. Not Collins' gun. Very nice. Oh, I just got an Uber pickup. You got it. Is this an Uber? Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you can't catch me. I'm on too fast on the gas. Don't chase me. Put him up like this. You got him. I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. <laughs> Do me a favor. I got three days left on this probation. When you got that gun on you, just don't tell me about it. Plausible deniability. Oh, do you mean this gun? Get out. Jeez. Good night, Colin. No. Bro. Stop! Stop! Don't you! Don't That's going to be interesting. It looks like they're going to show the shooting in his, in his uh, side mirror. Oof. This summer. A convicted felon, Mr. Hustler. I'm curious to see what he was convicted of. Now that until proven otherwise. How? Prove otherwise at all times. Not enough. Stop! Don't shoot, don't shoot! Whoa, man. Ugh. That, that's gonna be rough. A force to be reckoned with. Interesting. You don't have to act ghetto to hang out here. Can you hear me now? You need to get rid of Miles. Miles, this is my best friend. He's gonna put you back in jail or he's gonna get you killed. Don't make me write you up for your last week. The judge will extend your time here a year. That is the life we live in, and if it's since the beginning, and you know we stuck in that soil, loyal. Don't be who you is. That. This look. I really like the look of this. I hope this movie's as good as this trailer is. I hear good things. Every time you come around, you monsters got me feeling like a monster in my own town. 
Yeah. I, the what? I, I ain't no killer. Oh, God, that looks so good. Uh, yeah, I will say... Um, I was telling my dad about this because we were talking about uh, movies in the car uh, uh, over the weekend. Uh, and I was telling him one thing that I've noticed uh, arising is the number of really, really good black commentary uh, cinema. I mean, Get Out Get Out was kind of like where you started to really notice it. And, I'm, and I have no doubt that there was a lot more of it in the indie scene. But I think... The success of Get Out made it more mainstream to showcase the to, to showcase black cinema, and I really and since Get Out, I've seen like I think there are four wide release black centric story of the struggle sort of movies just this year alone because we've got Sorry to Bother You, which is Top tier filmmaking. This the fact that Boots Riley made one of the best movies I've ever seen on his first try is incredible. We've got Blind Spotting. We've got an adaptation of The Hate You Give, and we've got one more. I, for, I forget what it is, but there's like another one coming out. I think later this year, maybe early next year. But like just this sudden influx. Even Roman J. Israel Esquire, while it wasn't the best to tackle the subject, at least addressed so much of the issue of uh, uh, some of the issues of black people in America. It, it, it didn't do it as well as Sorry to Bother You or This Seems To. I just love that there's this influx happening, that there's this rise, this resurgence in black cinema that's coming to the mainstream because once again the black cinema has always been there but I don't think it's been since the 90s with things like New Jack City uh, uh, Menace to Society uh, B- Boys in the Hood where the, was that that uh, oh um, uh, bu- 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 um, oh duh Black Klansman's gonna come out this month I forgot that uh, duh of course I was just talking about it but um uh, do the right thing. The late 80s going into the 90s, we saw a, a surge in mainstream black cinema comment, commenting on racial issues. And it was, so, and the, I don't know if they hold up as well, but that's, we haven't seen a surge like that since the 90s, I don't think. I haven't done the, I must, that's just what I remember. I, have, I don't really remember a surge in prominent black centric films coming wide release in theaters since the 90s since i was a, since i was a kid and the fact that we're seeing a new surge in that and hopefully we can see the rise in other stuff like that too like even even with things outside of just commenting on race issues outside of dramas black panther black centric superhero movie one of the most profitable entries in the MCU people loved it um Crazy Rich Asians is going to be one that set, that centers on a, on Asian characters, Asian American and specifically Singaporean, and that has good traction. People love the book and have and it see and as far as I can tell, the movie seems to do the book justice. We'll have to wait and see. Seeing these 
minority groups have their days and having more opportunities made available to them is always amazing. And I want more of it. I am here for this. Because I've seen plenty of white white centric movies. I want to see... That's why I'm not interested in the English boxer goes to Thai prison story. Because... I get it. We we need the white we need the white guy center character because that's normal. But no, nah, I'm more interested in seeing blind spotting. I'm more interested in seeing. That's why I love Sorry to Bother You. That Sorry to Bother You is not my life. I could still identify with pretty with most of that movie, and the story it presented was compelling and beautiful and engaging. I want to see more stuff like that. I want to see that. I want to see. Ev- I think every sect of humanity deserves at least one movie a month dedicated to them whether it's drama comedy horror action whatever something that is for you about you tells your story diversify the stories what we tell that's how we see, that's how we get more interesting cinema that's what gets better. That's what gets better movies. So I think this has gone on long enough. So that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to to fight, fight, you know, go to the website, favorite it, whitelist us on your ad blocker, and. And to share the love and check out all of our other fine programming there. Uh, this week we'll be premiering the next episode of Living in the Stacks, where my buddy Max from college is going to tell us how his uh, how his how his friend growing up had a teacher that assigned them the Princess Bride, because apparently I couldn't have the best teacher in the world ever. I finally read the book. And it's, and it's just as good as the movie. It is Everything you love about the movie is in that book. But you'll hear us talk about it on this week's episode of Living in the Stacks. So go check it out. Go check out Donna's stuff. She's amazing. And, and hey, if you're a podcaster looking for a network, we'd love to help you. We'd love you to join. We'd love for you to join us. We'll, we are always looking for young, fledgling podcasters to join our network. So send us a message at GummyCatNetworks.com if you're interested. And, uh... I'll talk about I'll, and then I'll, the head, the sort of de facto heads of the network will confer if you if you're a good fit. Uh, other than that, uh, if you if you listen to us through a third party app like iTunes, Podbean, not Podbean, I'm not on Podbean, but Stitcher, iHeartRadio, I think we're on Spreaker. Uh, uh, you can just be sure to leave a five star rating and review and let people know that you like the show. You can also do that by sharing us on your social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. And that's where you'll find all the new releases. That's where you find all the newest information. I just announced the Patreon updates on there. I'm going to try and update the Patreon, update, make post updates about Patreon every other day. So that people, more people see what, that it's there. And then also be sure to uh, you know fi- follow us on Twitter at uh, at in at Corn Junkie Pod, that's where um, that's where uh, you'll that's where uh, you'll be able to follow my descent into madness. That was the munch along for Dinesh D'Souza's Death of a Nation, because 
I give up. I gave up and started just tossing f bombs throughout that rant because it was I, I was I was losing my mind. It was madness. It was sheer and utter madness. That uh, was not. It, it, it was. It was. It was. Uh, it was utter. It was carnage for my sanity. Uh, so yeah, it was. So yeah, if you want to, if you want more stuff like that, you can see my trailer talks. You can see. Uh, you see. You can just keep in contact with me. Follow me at Corn Pod on Twitter. Still trying to figure out the Instagram best best way to uh, to, op- to optimize that. But you can follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, and you can also uh, follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. Uh, I actually got to see The Darkest Minds at, thanks to the fo- good folks at Stardust who offered me a free movie ticket through Fandango by uh, commenting on the new uh, features there. So thanks to the good folks at Stardust for supporting the show. Go support them as well. Join the, join up. Share your reactions to movies, TV, trailers. And you can follow people like me, the other internet's John Bailey, Epic Voice Guy, who is the best person on Stardust. Go follow him, Epic Voice Guy on Stardust. He is the best Follow people like Mars Girl, Double Toasted, The Schmoes Know. All kinds of people are using Stardust. You should too. Come join us We're, and come play with us, listeners. Come play with us forever and ever and ever. And then if there's anything else you want to say to the pod, about the podcast, any kind of feedback, corrections, your, share your opinions, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If you want, I'll read it out on the show. And if not, I'll always get back to you. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And by the time you hear this, I should be able to start my new job and be able to afford this money pit of an endeavor. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. If somebody has agreed to interview with Dinesh D'Souza, then I'm automatically skeptic. I'm automatically skeptic. I am automatically a skeptic. Mm, mm, yes. Gelfling? If you have agreed to be interviewed for a Dinesh D'Souza documentary, I am automatically skeptical. Why can't I say skeptical? Why can't I say it? Skeptical. 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 Okay, let's try it again.